It's Daily Thunder, the truth of Jesus Christ dished out live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado with a bit of manly grit and gusto. Find out more at live.ellerslie.com. Now here's Eric Lutie. We have an unusual week unfolding because I'm going to be leaving to go out of town. Nathan just left early this morning. And he's going to be in Israel. And I think it's Thursday of this week that we're going to actually kick into Nathan Johnson uh, Daily Thunders. So it's not live from Israel, but it'll sort of feel like it's live from Israel. So he'll actually be on site in Israel training, and he's going to capture it. And then we'll actually be putting that into Daily Thunders. Doesn't that sound fun? So uh, I think that, that should be an incentive for everyone to show up and be live so they can see the video version. He's going to at least try and do a video version. We may end up with an audio version. We have no idea what technological challenges uh, he may encounter. He doesn't even know if he's going to have internet in the hotel he's going to be in. So we'll find out what that's going to be like. But that's, uh, that's God willing, going to be starting on Thursday. And uh, so we have a few days in between, like I'm going to take his Daily Thunder spot tomorrow. We're still not exactly sure what's happening Wednesday, but uh, tune in and find out. It'll be exciting uh, one way or the other. But uh, so I'm usually going through a series, and I could add on to my series, which I, I may do tomorrow. We'll, we'll see. But uh, today I'm doing something a little odd and unusual, and with the, the Kendrick's next movie coming out, which is Overcomer, uh, I wanted to give a little backstory on that and actually lay in a, a truth that is going to be revealed in and through this film. I'm not going to give any spoilers, so I don't want you guys to worry about that. And it's, it is a movie you could give a spoiler to because it is a really, really uh, unique uh, storyline. Uh, and I, just to l- let the cat out of the bag, I really liked it. Uh, it was fantastic. And I uh, did a lot of crying in it, which I don't know that that means it's a good movie, but I, I did choke up. I don't know if crying is the right word. I don't know what everyone interprets as crying. For me, crying is like choking up and having tears stream down my face, where you wouldn't, I don't want to have to talk if someone's talking to me. I just sort of want to hide in a dark uh, theater and, and just, you know, and I try not to snort. Have you ever had it where you're, you're around people in your seats and you're like, your body's sort of moving. You're like not wanting to shake the seat because then people around you are like, what's going on with him? And so I, that's what happened. We were at the uh, we were at the film festival, and they had a showing of it, and I was right smack in the middle of, of the theater. Great seat, right? Uh, but I, my body was shaking, and I was concerned that I was shaking the whole row. No one ever made a comment on it, praise God. But uh, it's that sort of a movie. It's deeply moving, inspiring. And so I have a title for this, even though because I name everything. Uh, the next Kendrick movie, that's like my profound title. Uh, and then I even have a subtitle for it, The Overcomer Experience, because uh, Hudson and I have been uh, a part of this in a very unique way, not in the sense that we, were, we made the movie, even though Hudson was on the crew for one day. So technically, he did make the movie, right? He was a PA, which is a production assistant, and he had a headset on. Uh, he had a walkie-talkie, and he was able to say, like, quiet on the set, and he did that, you know, so he was a part of making this movie. So since he's my son, I feel like, in a sense, since I sort of helped make him, that I helped make the movie. You know, have you ever had that? That's the way we feel as, like, Denver Bronco fans when we were winning the Super Bowl. It's like, and my team won. It's like we feel like we somehow helped them. We willed them to victory in the Super Bowl. That's sort of the way I feel with this. 
But uh, the backstory, uh, I've uh, been connected, especially with Stephen Kendrick, at multiple speaking events where we've overlapped. We've had some great memories of going out to dinner with Hudson and his son and just sharing stories of faith. Just some, some really fun memories between us that have been meaningful, I think, to Hudson and I. And so when they were uh, doing the, the, the filming uh, for, for this movie, I had been in touch with Stephen long before uh, the start of it just saying, hey, I'd love to be able to get down there. So they had an influencer's day that we were able to come down to, and uh, I don't know, it ranks up there for us as just some of the most enjoyable memories. You know, there's a lot of things you do in ministry that are, they're good. They're the types of things where you're like, you know, and that was important that we did it. Leslie was like, are you glad you did it? Well, yes, I think it was important. This is one of those things that you're like, I'll do that again. That was fun. And so very few things are fun uh, in ministry. And so I don't even know that you could call this ministry, right? I mean, because it was fun. But it was a truly delightful experience. And the way that the Kendricks run a movie set is quite remarkable. Uh, so uh, I have a whole slide here. If you're, if you're here or you're getting it via the stream, you see it says Hudson. Hudson is my oldest. He's 14. He happens to be here this morning. Uh, I'm sure he's soaking up the fact that his name is sitting on the, uh, on the screen right now. But Hudson has an interest in film, and so as a father, one of my desires is, you know, because I'm, you know, when you hear that your son is interested in film, you can go one of two ways with that. Uh, it's a dangerous territory. It's like having your child say that they want to be a musician. It's like, okay, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. However, it's dangerous. There's dangerous territory. There's a lot of landmines there. I know there's a lot of Christians that start out with good intentions and end up, uh, sort of being ruined against the rocks uh, as they approach the shoreline there. And so it's, it's a dangerous territory, and film is a dangerous territory. It's a very, uh, it's, a, it's, an, it's an image-based industry, it's an ego-based industry, and there's a lot of darkness that has crept into that realm. And so as a result, it's, it's, it's difficult. And what's interesting is if you look at the music industry, you could sort of say, because I've been around the music industry for, for a long time, and just mainly because of what I do. Not, I do have a few music albums, but if anyone, if anyone ever thought I was saying that I'm in the music industry, that would just be awkward. They would feel awkward for me. I'm not, and I would never even claim to be. Uh, but I've been around it quite extensively because of what I do traveling and speaking as an author. And so I'm always in, whether it's festivals or, or various things which overlap, uh, and... I, what I could say is I'm just not impressed. I'm not impressed with the Christian music industry, and it doesn't mean I'm not impressed with certain characters in it. It's just that overall, I'm not impressed. With the, the film industry, it's like the film industry is right at this crux moment where it can go one of two ways. It could follow the Christian music industry, which is hip, which is cool, and which is uh, money-based, everything about it. It's all image-driven. Uh, or it could go where the Kendricks are desiring to take it. And that's what's interesting as I watch this, is the Kendricks, because of their unusual success in the filmmaking side, they have a voice in movie making today. And uh, the, even the secular side will say, okay, what are you guys wanting to do next? Because they recognize that there's a vast audience for what they're doing. It's, it's almost like, you'd almost want to call it supernatural. It's like, are you serious? Are they, their movies are actually successful. And I think most of us in here, we really enjoy them. They're really good. I mean, you know, the, the film snobs always want to look for something to critique, but 
Their stories are really good, and they're getting, their quality is, uh, is getting sharper and sharper. It's actually very impressive uh, what we've watched them do. And, but their passion is to steer the film industry towards purity. They're, they would say their, their priorities are the preeminence of Christ and humility. In other words, this is done for the glory of God and not for the glory of man. I like that. And so when Hudson says he's interested in film, like, what, are you, what do you think I want him to be around? I want him to be around that. I want him to be around a model that puts Christ first and that is marked by humility. The way that they run their set was so interesting to me. And here's just a, a little uh, side note on it that, you know, the, in a typical movie set, the actors will be treated as higher. So you have certain talent that is, they get the special green room, the special food, the special massage, uh, you know, all the, the special treatment. The directors, the producers, those guys are royalty, and then everyone else sort of comes into ranks. And on the Kendrick set, it's the body of Christ. And so the actors come in, the first thing they're told is you'll be treated like everyone else. In other words, we don't treat certain people as higher than others. We treat what you would normally consider the lowest, and we'll you know, give them a prize and bring them up in front of them, and everyone will cheer them for what they're doing because we value every aspect of filmmaking. And we watched that. It was actually profound. So the actors, the actresses would eat with, with everyone else for their meals, and it was like the body of Christ. It's actually one of the best pictures of the body of Christ I may have ever seen because everyone wakes up in the morning, and they know exactly what role they play, and they all bring their gift to the table, and they all come prepared. You know, when we talk about uh, what Paul would say of how we are to come and gather in the church, we're all supposed to have our hymn, our spiritual song, and we're all like, what does this look like? Well, I'm not saying it's supposed to be a film set, because I don't think that's what Paul was talking about, but it's interesting how the Kendricks have built it. They're like, hey, God's already given us a model. Let's do it this way. And it was profound. It was beautiful. It was edifying. And the crew loves it. They all feel loved and cared for. It's like, this is, this is something special. And so it was a deeply impacting thing. In other words, what everyone's seen on the outside as far as the films that come out I'm impressed with what is creating those films. That's actually more of what stirs me, even though I really do enjoy the film. So the 6K set experience, it was called the 6K, so we have a a T-shirt. Hudson and I both got a T-shirt. What does it say? It says, uh, Extraordinary Extra 6K, and we felt really cool having our our T-shirts. But uh, 6K was the sixth Kendrick film. They wanted to hide it from the community that they were in. They didn't want everyone to know that they were making the next Kendrick film in Columbus, Georgia, so they called it 6K, and that just sounded like some technological summit, you know, 6K parking here, and everyone's like, oh, how boring is that? And they would drive right by. And so that was what it was called. It was called the 6K, even while we were there. Of course, we know it, the, the movie's name is Overcomer, but uh, that experience was, uh, was very, very special for Hudson. I think just being father and son in a situation where I'm watching my son learn and sort of experience something that he's only seen from the outside going, I'd be interested in that, Daddy. I'd like to know more about what it's like to make films and then to actually be there with him. And uh, so we have, we were going to, we, we had all these behind-the-scenes opportunities when we were there, which was really fun, and then we were going to see them film a, a scene. And they, they forewarned us. They said, it's actually not as fun as it sounds. By the way, it was very fun. Uh, but it's not as fun as it sounds. You could sit in one spot for seven hours to get one shot, okay? So just, 
you know, it's hurry up and wait is the concept in filmmaking. And Hudson and I are like, bring it on. I mean, this sounds great. I, I don't care. So it was a, it's the opening scene of the movie, and it's in a gymnasium. Remember, I'm not giving any spoilers away, okay? It's the opening scene. How could that be a, a, a spoiler? And I'm not even going to tell you what happens, and it's just in, a, uh, in a, an arena. And uh, so Hudson and I were kind of come in and look at, we were going to stand behind the video village, I guess is what it's called, so you can actually see the shot, so you can see what the cameras are looking at, and you can see how it's coming out. And uh, so that was going to be fun. We were going to be able to stand in video village for uh, this shot. And so we're walking in uh, with one of the, the guys that is uh, one of the sub-producers on the film. And uh, he asked us, have you guys ever been an extra in a, in a movie? I'm like, no. And he didn't ask if we wanted to be. He just said, have you ever been? I'm like, no. And so he keeps walking, and the video village is back there. And he says, here's the key. If you ever want to uh, be an extra, what you do is you look for where the X is, because that's where the uh, talent is going to be, and then you plant yourself right behind it. So he says, I want you guys to sit right here. So we're like, what? What in the hell? And this is very awkward. And it's funny because Philip Telfer, uh, who we have, a, we have a group that's here from uh, Bernie, Texas, that is in Philip's church, and Philip was set right next to me. So during this whole scene, Philip was right now, that's actually one of our bonding points, is, is this exact situation. And I have to admit, if Hudson and I were going to be like put under a polygraph test and we were to be asked about this, was it fun? Yes. What else was it? Awkward. It was extremely awkward. Everything about this situation, it still is to this day. In fact, I think Hudson and I sort of dread the movie coming out because there's the, you know, I don't really struggle with... Um, insecurities and, you know, thinking about myself all the time. But I tell you what, when you watch a movie and you're supposed to be watching the main characters and there's your head sitting right there, it is so distracting. It is just really awkward. And so I don't know a better term for it. But we spent, it was about seven hours, wasn't it, Hudson? It was, it was labor. It really was hard, but fun. If I had to do it every day, I'm not exactly sure if I'd want to be a full-time extra. Uh, but we had to do this one scene over and over and over again. And so we're in the crowd. Remember, the actor's heads are right here. There's Hudson's head. There's my head. <laughs> and we're in this crowd. And we're like yelling over. And Hudson realized that he could yell without yelling. You know, so he'd be like. And I was blowing out my voice because I'm like, yeah. And because someone has to be making noise. I mean, if no one made noise, it wouldn't be realistic. So I'm doing all the work. Hudson's just sort of, what's it, when you go behind a semi and you catch the drag on the semi. That's exactly what he was doing. And so, but there were awkward times, too, where they would say, now we want you to do it without making any noise. Same thing you just did, no noise. So we're like, and it's just, there's something about it, because you got this one guy, you know, next to you that you're, like, giving a high five to, and you do the same thing every time, and it just starts to feel very fake, is the way you describe it. So what I'm just concerned of, there were certain ones that were very real. I was very excited. Then there's about 40 repetitions in where I'm concerned that that's the one they chose. You know, and it's just like, so uh, there's just deep concern inside of me uh, in regards to this coming out, but uh, it was really fun. That was the crowd scene. So when uh, the first time I, I went down to, uh, they have something called a fatherhood commission uh, down in Georgia, Rome, Georgia. And so I was down there and I was able to see the first showing that they had of this. And uh, when that scene came up in the very beginning, uh, and my head was there in the crowd, 
the movie felt very fake. That's all I can say. It did not feel like I would, you, you, you enter a movie. I really struggled for the first five minutes. I was in sort of a daze, and then I got into the movie, and I loved the movie. But I remember thinking that very beginning really isn't very well done. <laughs> and, and, you know, I know what it is. It's, it's the fact that if you're ever in a scene, it really messes uh, with you. So just beware. If you're ever thinking about being an extra, it sort of taints that portion of the movie. It's not as easy to watch uh, because you have a tendency to be very distracted uh, as you do it. But... Uh, and so I, then I, I've seen it multiple times now, and the, the time we watched it in uh, Franklin, it was just magical for us. And maybe I was able to get past the fact that we were up on the screen, but it was, I mean, just so powerful. And I am extremely excited about this movie. But what I'm excited about is not the fact that Hudson and I were able to see behind the scenes or anything like that, even though that was tremendously impacting the significance of this. And I think the Kendricks have a tendency to hit the nerve points. They like are, are addressing key, key issues. And I, I really think this one is a, is a deep felt need that I recognize as well. And uh, they would call it identity. The message is about identity, which is a really hard one. When they were trying to pitch that to, to Sony, it's like, how do you even describe that? It's on identity? What, what does that mean? And you know, everyone has their sort of idea or placeholder of what that means. And the significance of knowing your identity in Christ, what we as Ellerslie, at Ellerslie in our training are going to go through is we're going to teach you your position. That's what we would call it. And it's in Christ. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. And so all of us are born as a descendant of Adam. Every one of us. And so as a result, our position, naturally speaking, in our old man place, in our first condition, before we are born again, is in Adam. When we believe in Jesus, we exit Adam and we enter into Christ. And now we are in Christ, which is extremely significant in the flow of Scripture, in the unlocking of the power of the gospel. And so it's fascinating because this movie is going to take something that is not easy to teach, and the reason I know that is because I've taught it for years, and it is a very challenging thing to convey to an audience, and the Kendricks are tackling that. And so could, you could imagine trying to stick that into a movie. I mean, it's one thing to say, okay, we're going to talk about fatherhood. We're going to talk about uh, marriage. We're going to talk about uh, prayer. I mean, prayer, could you imagine how audacious that one was? We're going to do a movie on prayer? Who's going to go to that? Uh, no one even likes to go to a prayer meeting, let alone a movie on prayer. And yet, if you saw the movie, War Room, you're like, wow, this is really good. And so how they have done these things is very intriguing to me. But to pick a, to the theme of identity, okay, you almost want to sit back and go, good luck, guys. How are you going to pull that one off? Well, obviously, the fact that I love the movie shows that they did something right uh, in it. So the way that I would uh, describe it is... When you look at the book of Ephesians, on Tuesdays, Nathan Johnson is going through uh, an, an expositional study of Ephesians here in Daily Thunder. And so we're dealing with Ephesians all the time. And that's what this movie is about. Basically, it's Ephesians. But it's like Ephesians 1 through 3 is what it's about. I know it sounds strange. And Ephesians 4 through 6 is like a second tier dimension to Ephesians, but many of us, we know what it says in Ephesians 4 through 6. And we try and perform 
Ephesians 4 through 6, because it's a whole bunch of commands. It's like, you need to do this. You need to do this. You need to live this way. And so we start there, and we're like, okay, I need to get my act together, and I really need to live this Christian life. But what you're going to see the Kendricks bring out in, in this movie is you're going to see them bring out Ephesians 1 through 3. Because if you want to live 4 through 6, you need 1 through 3. If you don't have 1 through 3, you can't live 4 through 6. And that's what I would say is a description of modern Christianity. Modern Christianity knows 4 through 6, and we feel the weight of it, we feel the responsibility of it, but for whatever reason, we haven't grasped 1 through 3. And so when we start in chapter 4, we have a problem. And many of us do that. The way we handle Scripture isn't necessarily in the context of how it's being taught. We have our favorite Scripture. We have the clear, clear commands. We know what God's saying. I mean, it is clear in Ephesians Four, I mean, it kicks off and it says, you better get your act together. You need to be living this way. However, if you know what the foundation of, is it, of that is, it's actually going to say, here's what you have in Christ. Now, live out of that. And if you can live out of that, you can do these things. If you don't have one through three, no, you're sunk. So the message of abundant life, that's what Ephesians is about. Ephesians is talking about this glorious life. I mean, it is extraordinary what we have in Jesus Christ. And then look at the effects of what takes place as a result. And yet we have the incredulous Christian today that looks at uh, this grand Christianity as outlined in the New Testament and mocks it. And these are Christians that do this. And I run into them all the time that are like, oh, yeah, right. Oh, you're one of those Christians that actually believes we're supposed to live this. Yeah, why wouldn't we believe that? That's what the Bible teaches. Well, you know, brother, you, you can't actually have that type of lens. Otherwise, you're going to lead, to, lead people to disillusionment. You're going to encourage people that they can live this version of, of Christianity that actually is impossible to live. Well, I'm going to agree with you that it's impossible. But there is a God who takes that which is impossible for man and makes it possible. And that's the whole gospel. What do you think he's doing for us? He's the one that saves. He's the one that enables. He's the one that does the work. And so that's why this is so critical. And so when you see what the Kendricks are bringing out in this movie, you recognize it's like, hey, I get passionate about this very, very quick. So what's the issue in modern Christianity? I would say it very simply. We are starting in chapter 4. We are seeing the standards and then unable to live them and then we discredit the whole thing and rework Christianity to match our experience. So what's my experience? Well, defeat, failure, misery. And so, hey, let's recast all that we see in Scripture to sort of support that. It's like, no, that's not what Scripture says, though. And so we'll look at Paul and say, well, I'm sure that Paul really did have all these problems and he was struggling with all this sin. Why? Because we are. And so we have to then assume his thorn means sexual sin. We have to presume uh, in Romans 7 when he's saying that he wants to do it but he can't, oh, we must assume that he's living in defeat. It's like, actually, I would say we need to assume the exact opposite if you read it in context. If you read what Paul's saying, he's in the midst of what I would call that hamburger section in Romans 7. Romans 6 and Romans 8 are two of the most profound and powerful Chapters in the entire Bible talking about the triumph and the abundance of Jesus Christ and what he does in our life. And then in the midst of it, as he's talking to the Jews, saying, yes, under the law, we have no ability to do this. But in Christ, we are able. 
Well, so I think it answers the question just right there. As Paul says, who can save me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So if you break up Ephesians into its parts, what you see is the first three chapters are called the indicatives, and the last three chapters are the imperatives. And so since big words are not always a specialty of every one of us, we'll break those into more simple words, which would be like the facts and the commands. So this is what's true, and as a result, this is what you do with it. So if I laid out a whole bunch of tools for you, and I said, let me introduce you to all the tools. And then I said, and here's a pile of lumber, and what I want you to do now is take those tools and that lumber and build this. You see, if I didn't give you the tools and the lumber and all I said was build this, how do you think you'd be doing? You'd probably struggle a little, and that's modern Christianity. We're failing to look at what he's given us. We fail to realize that he's supplied everything we need for life and godliness. All we look at is this architectural design of perfection that we're supposed to live out. Be perfect as I am perfect. Be holy as I am holy. It's like, whoa, how am I supposed to do that? Well, you see, you need Jesus. And without all that he has supplied for you and us, we cannot perform this. But if we understand what he's given us, which is in one through three, we need the facts. We need to know our position in Christ. We need to know what he has supplied us. So, if you look at it this way, faith in these facts leads to supernatural living. So if you're getting this via podcast, I, I have a graphic up on the screen that breaks up chapters 1 through 3 and then 4 through 6. And 1 through th- 3 says, faith in these facts. And then 4 through 6 says, leads to supernatural living. You in and of yourself cannot live supernaturally. But if you believe in Jesus Christ and yield to him and allow the Holy Spirit to make this his dwelling place, he knows how to live supernaturally. And he desires to take what is known as the body of Christ, which could be you individually or us corporately, and actually showcase his glory in and through it. This is how God does it. So when you follow the law instead of the gospel, it really messes up your Christianity. Now most of us, that heed the commands of the New Testament and see them, do not consider ourselves living under law. It's like, I don't, I don't try and keep the dietary code, and you know, I don't stress about keeping the feasts and the sacrifices. Yeah, so good. But we can still function under law. In other words, we still think that if we live dutifully, if we live as we're supposed to live, then we will pacify this command of God. And that's just not how Christianity is meant to function. God has given us Jesus Christ. And when we believe in Jesus Christ, we have what we need to satisfy the law. It's his shed blood. We have his perfect righteousness, and it clothes us. And he gives us the power of his Holy Spirit to now live a life that we couldn't before. So why would you return to law and rules and formulas when you have the person of Jesus Christ? But it's a propensity that we all have. Because we want to be good at what we do. We want to be pleasing to God. So we have a tendency to start in chapter 4 and say, God, what do you want me to do? All right, I'm going to give my best to get that done. He's like, well, what about chapters 1 through 3? You're like, I'm I'm working on 4. I'm getting ahead of the game here. Yeah, but you can't do that in your own strength, Eric. You see, we mean well, but what we need is the tools. We need the lumber. We need the power. God has supplied it to us, but we have to go to 
chapters one through three. It's interesting because in Colossians, same layout is in Colossians, but it's going to be chapters one and two. And so you see the same argument that Paul says. It's like, let me get the facts out on the table. This is what you have in Christ Jesus. Now, take that and use it here. So look at Colossians 2. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why as though living in the world do you subject yourself to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using. According to the commandments and doctrines of men, these things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. You cannot actually deal with your problem with regulations. If all I gave you was chapter 4, 5, and 6 of Ephesians, I would not be giving you the gospel. You can say, what do you, what do you mean by that? That's, that's part of the New Testament. Yes, but you're taking it out of context the moment you remove it from chapters 1 through 3. Chapters 1 through 3 are what make 4 through 6 fly. They're what make it work. It's like taking the engine out of a car. It's like, well, it just doesn't work. That's right. Here's the engine. Here's the fuel. Here's the key. You need that in order to get from here to there. Ephesians 4 through 6 is like, you need to get from here all the way to Detroit, Michigan. You're like, well, how am I supposed to do that without an engine, without fuel, and without a key? You can't. But what if you had the engine, the fuel, and the key? And then it makes sense how you get from here to there. So having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. This is actually one of the danger points in the church is for those that only have a form. They know how they're supposed to be living. This is what the Pharisees did. They had all the rules, they had all the regulations, but they were dead, they were uh, whitewashed sepulchers full of dead men's bones. They were hollow within. There wasn't power within. There wasn't life within. It's not a compliment to be a whitewashed sepulcher. That's a, that's a very big put down. We do not want to have a whitewash on the outside which says all the proper things. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. Love you, brother. Meanwhile, die on the inside. In other words, you could have all the outside looking good and polished. But if you don't have the inside transformed by Jesus Christ with the indwelling life of God, you can't do it. You know that that should actually be encouraging to all of us as opposed to it's like, oh, what a weight. Are you saying that I can't do it? Yes. But I'm also saying he can. You see, if you recognize that you could put the weight of responsibility upon him instead of upon you to pull off this thing called grand Christianity, as far as I'm concerned, that's part of the goodness of the good news right there. If it's up to you to live perfectly, boy, we are sunk. What have we actually accomplished through the shed blood of Jesus Christ? That's exactly where the Jews were before he came. In other words, they had the law. And if they didn't keep that law, then they were on the outs. Which is why even the Jews before Jesus were saved by the same thing we are. Faith in the Messiah. Faith in the one who will come and who will remove the iniquity of the land in one day. The Jews were saved the same way we are. Faith has always been the means of salvation. The law has never been. The law is a schoolmaster which leads people to their need for Jesus Christ. The seed in its two parts. I don't know why I have an apostrophe in its, uh, so sorry about that. Uh, Grace left. She didn't get to appreciate uh, the grammatical error there. Uh, so 
the seed in its two parts, the external shell and the internal pith. If we were to take a, a seed and we were to, uh, that's a huge seed right there. It's as big as my fist, right? So that's, that's a big one. But if you were to take a seed, there's two parts to a, to a seed. So you have this outer shell and you have an inner life-giving pith. And if I were to say, what reproduces? What creates life? Well, it's not the shell, it's the pith. And the same is true with just truth in general. You have the outer husk, which we can call the biblical worldview, and we have the inner pith, which is like the gospel power. Many of us learn the outer husk, and we get all the data correct, and we know what we're supposed to do, we know how we're supposed to live, but we lose the power within. You see, if you don't have that inner pith, well, you really can't reproduce life. You need that life inside. But both matter, by the way. I'm not even going to say that, for instance, the, the commands in, in 4 through 6 don't matter in Ephesians. It's just that it's like a shell. It's the way we're supposed to live, but as a result of this. So let's do a practice run in dividing the external husk from the internal life. So imagine that you received the command, you must not sin, which, by the way, the Bible makes very clear. You must not sin. You know that the gospel gives a solution to that? It actually gives an answer. Uh, he conquered sin. So if you want to know the secret to how to deal with sin, it's not you conquering sin. It's him conquering sin. And you exiting Adam and entering Christ, the one who has conquered sin. You see, he has power over sin. You don't, but you do in him. And that's how the New Testament gives us understanding of it. You must be righteous. That's what the Bible teaches. You have to be perfectly righteous. You have to be right with the law of God. And we're not. He is indeed our righteousness. Well, there we go. You see, that solves everything. If all you have is the first and you don't have the second, if you don't have the gospel, you're sunk. If you don't have chapters one through three, you're in trouble. You must be holy just as God is holy. What are we going to do about that? Well, the Holy Spirit has been given you. Oh, you mean the very holiness of God in spirit form has moved inside? Yeah. You see, I've been gifted holiness. I've been gifted the holiness of God. That's incredible. So do I need to work up holiness or do I just need to heed the Holy Spirit who will then make me holy? You must love just as God loves. God is love and he will love in and through you. See, if all you have is the first line, the first column, you're in trouble. What you need is the second one, which is the gospel. But the first one is still true. It's not the absence of truth. It's not like we're like, oh, get that out of the Bible. That's still the truth. But what does it lead us to? It leads us to Jesus. It's like, I need a Savior. I need help. Bingo. So how do you get this abundant life? It is available to you. In Christ. If I could give you the summary of what Ephesians is about, it's about being in Christ. So there's two ins in Scripture. We have in Christ and Christ in you. And they both, they're not contradictory to, to each other. They actually work together. So what you have is when you are in Adam, you are under condemnation because you will go where Adam goes. It's like if I enter a plane... I go where the plane goes. I may not agree with where the plane is going, but I'm going where the plane is going. So if it goes from Denver to uh, Salt Lake City, Utah, I'm going to Salt Lake City, Utah, whether I want to or not, right? And that's sort of the way it is with Adam. You're on the Adam plane, and he's headed to death, 
destruction, hell, ultimately the lake of fire. And so it's your choice. You can stay there if you want, but the door is unlocked to the plane and another plane is sitting there that says, please, exit that one and enter this one. Repent of that one and enter this plane. It's called Jesus Christ. And it's headed to the right hand of the Father. It will, head, it will literally take you into heavenly places for all of eternity. You will be clothed in Jesus Christ. What he did, what, what Adam did, you share in. You share in the penalty of it. What Jesus did, you share in the reward of it. Not because you deserve it, but because he loves you. And he has done this for you. It is an offering of grace unto us that if we would humble ourselves and acknowledge our need for it and accept it, we actually enter into this carrying device known as the way. His name is Jesus. He's the way to the Father. So how are you going to get to the Father? You need Jesus. And you need to climb aboard. But to climb aboard, you have to leave Adam. You have to leave your old life. You have to be crucified to the old man. The old man has to die, which means you have to enter Christ, enter into his death, his burial, his resurrection, and then you share in where his journey is going. Where is he going? Well, he went to that cross, he went to that burial, he went to that resurrection life, and then he went to the right hand of the Father. You get to share in all of that. It's called, ironically throughout history, the identification doctrines. We identify with Christ. Remember what this movie is about? Identity. So what's your identity? Well, I'm identifying not in Adam, but in Christ. So if your identity is in Christ, that means you're no longer in Adam. You are in Christ by faith, so where Christ goes, you go. And so when Christ goes there, you're with him now. What Christ has offered to you, you now have access to. So let's walk through what Ephesians says. Let's start with the fact that the devil's whispering, you're unwanted. You're garbage. God wouldn't ever want you. But then when you read Ephesians 1 through 3, it actually nullifies these lies of the enemy. It actually cancels them out. You are literally getting all the tools that you need to live the Christian life. But if you skip 1 through 3, I can't even imagine what life would be like. Trying to live the Christian life without these facts, without these truths. I'm unwanted. And what does it say in 1 verse 5? He predestined us to adoption as sons. No, he wants you. He doesn't just want you. He wants to adopt you. He wants to make you his child. Okay, that's like an upgrade from being unwanted to suddenly being a child of the Most High God. He made us accepted in the Beloved. You see, this is what Paul is walking through. He's like, hey guys, I need to teach you what you have in Christ. You need to know this so that you can actually live the life that you were called to live. I'm unforgivable. You don't know what I've done. You don't recognize that I am filthy. And what does the word of God say? In him, we have the forgiveness of sins. So when you believe in Jesus Christ and you exit Adam, in Christ is forgiveness. You actually have forgiveness of sins. I know you are undeserving and I know that you were filthy. I recognize all that. All of us have to go through this exact process of recognizing I am unworthy but he has set his seal upon us. He says, I want you. And he says, I have opened myself up for you to enter in and let me carry you into the heavenly places. I am undesirable. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. In Christ, we who were far off have been brought near 
to God by the blood of Jesus. Oh, you're desired. You're desired. Don't let the devil win by whispering his nonsense to you. You're desired. I mean, look at this list. You're wanted, you're forgiven, and you're desired, and that's just the very beginnings of the book of Ephesians. I'm cut off. And then what does God say? We are no longer strangers and foreigners to the household of God. We are fellow citizens with the saints. We are now of the household of God. I'm dead in my sin. I'm powerless to live. He has quickened us, made us alive. He has made us alive together with Christ. This is incredible stuff. This is facts. You're supposed to believe these facts. If I told you that there was a $10 bill in the back room, and I said, it's yours, and then you went home today and went out to, to lunch, and someone's like, uh, hey, wh- why don't, you don't have money? And like, no, could you pay for this? Didn't Eric say that he gave you a $10 bill back then? Oh, yeah, yeah, true. What's the good of believing that I gave you a $10 bill if you don't go and pick it up? These are pickup points. You need to actually take them. The word in the scripture is reckon. You're supposed to take it to your account as if it's yours. It's yours. Take it by faith. I must walk worthy of the calling I received. So you'll notice what verse that is. That's Ephesians 4.1. Remember how we started? This is where most people start. They start with that statement. Okay, Eric, you need to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. What if Eric doesn't know uh, chapters one through three? What am I gonna go to? Am I gonna go to Christ to do that or am I gonna dig in my own pocket and say, okay, what do I have to be able to pull that one off? So my God, I, I know that I'm unworthy to do this, but if you're calling me, I want to live worthy of that. And I try my best and I fail. Because I need to recognize that the power to live is not found in Eric, it's found in Christ. So what does it say? We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. We are his workmanship. God has works for us to walk in that he ordained long ago. He doesn't just set works for us. He enables us to carry them out. They're his works. And he sets them before us, but he desires us to carry them out. But it's him that works in us to make this happen. How about this one in one? I must show the behavior of God. Could you imagine what type of weight that is? Yeah, okay, guys, go out and show Jesus. Show the world the kingdom of heaven. Demonstrate for them the behavior of God. I mean, it's very noble, and I have to admit, I'm very attracted to such notions, and I have gone out many times in the attempt to show love to an unlovely world. Joy and peace. It's like, I'm going to show them how it works. And I recognize that God has to train me, and it's like, Eric, it's not in you. It's in me. I want to show it through you, but you have to recognize what you have in me. Eric, what's your position? I'm not in Adam. I'm not trying to do this in Adam's strength. I'm in Christ. Therefore, I have the strength of Christ to be able to do this. Do you remember what it says in, uh, <clears throat> in Ephesians 6? Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Hmm, same book. Right? In other words, this is a reference back to everything that you have. It's like, hey guys, don't try and do this in your own strength. Don't try and fight this spiritual battle in your own strength. You need to put on the armor of God. What do you think the armor of God is? It's Christ. Put on Christ and be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Don't try and live this in your might. Your lint in your pocket. You're like, okay, God, I can maybe scrape together a few uh, actions here. 
You do not have it in and of yourself, and it's okay to acknowledge that. He has it for you, and that's the grand secret of Christianity. So I must show the behavior of God. What does God say? He chose us in Christ to be holy. In him, the mystery of his will is made known to us. I must forgive others, even as Christ forgave me. Well, these are stout commands that we are given. But what does the word of God say? In him, we have the forgiveness of sins. When you're in him, do you know that you have power to forgive? You have the ability to forgive in him. If you're looking to your own emotions, trying to troll the depths of your own emotions, going, oh God, I just want to try and forgive this person. It's just a really hard way to live, as opposed to saying, God, I know you have it. I agree with you, and I want you to forgive in and through me. I want to do this in you. I need help living this out. Boy, that's an understatement. In him we were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. He has raised us up together with him to heavenly places. He has made us to sit together with him in heavenly places. We are saved by grace through faith. We are not saved by ourselves, by any of our works. We were saved by the gift of God. So let's just uh, close in prayer very specifically. I'm going to lift up this movie as it's released this week. Just that the, not just that we would be edified right now with that truth, but that this generation in which we live would be touched by it uniquely. Father, we need you. And we acknowledge that humbly, that we crave your Holy Spirit to live inside of us and to do what only you can do. Lord, I pray for the Kendricks that there would be a protection upon them, for Alex, for Shannon, for Stephen, and that you would preserve them in this time. We know the devil wants to take them out. He wants to harm them. He wants to hinder them. He wants to hinder this movie. And Lord Jesus, even though it might seem strange for us as the church to pray for a movie, Lord, I pray that it would be the communication, the truth in it, that you would take and holler in a very loud voice in this generation, and that there would be a great stirring and an awakening to these truths. Lord Jesus, this is unto you for your glory, and we just as the body of Christ stand in agreement. We desire this generation to see you. It's in the precious name of Jesus that we ask this. Amen. Daily Thunder is a production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training and the Bravehearted Media Group. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and see it once again gain the stride of the Spirit emboldened and brave. The Daily Thunder video stream can be watched live daily at 8.15 a.m. Mountain Time, Monday through Saturday, and 7.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. Please consider booking a stopover at the lovely Ellerslie campus at the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains for one day, one week, one semester, or for an entire season. We hope to see you someday soon live and in person. Thanks for listening.